hey, you know what? If you like this podcast that I appreciate you've not listened to yet because this is right at the start, but if you listen to this and find out you do like it, then afterwards go onto the computer or phone and search for The Lush Podcast. It's the podcast where Lush, unsurprisingly, The Lush Podcast, talk about the things that we think you'd be interested in hearing. So check it out. It's called The Lush Podcast. And the easy way to remember that, how I remember it, is it's a podcast made by Lush. Cool. Have a listen. I might even host one time. You never know. Probably not after this audition. Go on. Hi, and welcome to Tiny Revolutions at the Edinburgh Fringe, live from the Gilded Balloon. Uh, uh, please put your hands together for the fantastic Desiree Birch. <laughs> come up this way, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Tiny Revolutions. Thank Desi. you for having me. Hello, yeah. everybody. <laughs> so, I want to go back to when we first met at the Edinburgh Fringe, which I think was at 2015. I mean, that must have been it. That was my first sort of fringe back as a UK resident. Right. Uh, I had come before from the States, but that was the first time I was actually like living here doing the do. And you were doing a show, and I think it was in the Gilded Balloon. Yes, it was upstairs in the turret. Up tar the turret. baby. Yeah. Yeah, so yep. uh, tell us a bit. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. So, so uh, Tar Baby uh, was a theater piece that was very much stand-up fueled, uh, all about race and capitalism in America. So um, it was uh, essentially a lot of personal narrative about uh, experiences of race that were, you know, personal stories that then sort of uh, filtered down to like, oh, this is now singling me out. Like, when you're a person of color, it is other people who remind you of that on a consistent basis. You go out thinking that you're a person and everyone's like, oh, you're a brown person. You know, oh, you're this person. And suddenly you're kind of like, why am I constantly being demoted just trying to fucking live, you know? Um, and that, uh, yeah, so that was sort of my uh, reintroduction to the UK and I was astounded by how many different kinds of people when I performed that in the States, uh, at, um, you know, here at the Fringe, uh, in London, in Finland, in Auckland, New Zealand, how many different kinds of people completely related to that because that sort of um, being shoved outside of the narrative and outside of the mainstream and the, and the fact that the narrative really controls what we you know, what we think is really a story that we're paying attention to and who exists outside of that story. How many different kinds of people, like when I went to New Zealand, I didn't understand that, you know, the Maori people were the black people of New Zealand and had been completely fucked over for generations and felt the same things until, you know, it was very audience participatory. So there were parts where it was like, I was having people help me tell my story in different ways and like, you know, people are up there just like crying and looking me in the face while I'm going, like, it's okay, but like, I have to do this right now. Because both in that show and in stand-up, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of latent rage that gets filtered through the art form. And that the thing is, anger is useful when it is channeled towards some kind of change. And that's where um, comedy can kind of manifest that rage into something that is useful, that actually opens someone's perspective or changes their mind. And that, and that is pretty much a, like a perfect summation of what the podcast yeah. is or, or, what, or, or what we're trying to unpack. And I, I am 100% with you on that. In fact, I think that show and talking about Tar Baby, I, I thought of you when I watched the film Get Out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Jordan Peele fi film, because um, I had a friend who said, that's for white people, I haven't watched that film. Like, mm. we get it. 
Um, but I watched it and I, I sort of, it spoke to me, I suppose, because I felt like it was an outside perspective. Yes, about race, but also about gender. Mm. Also about, you know, anyone that wasn't kind of heterosexual. This kind of like how the world sees you and how people can be in the sunken place. Yeah. And and you have yeah. no idea about what you're, you know, that you're othered. And then all of a sudden you're, you're you know, yeah. and that's exactly, you know, what that piece of work did, I think. Yeah, so. Th thank you. I mean, that, yeah, that sunken place is so, it's so like the core of that narrative along with the sort of other story of like, here is what uh, generally the liberal world does that actually perpetuates a certain thing as opposed to counterbalancing it, you know, and there are two different, there's a version for people to see themselves and then there's another version for people to see themselves in that place and operating from that sunken place of like, I cannot get out of this thing. Yeah. yeah. And you think, do you think, actually, that's a really interesting point um, because I know you've sort of discussed this in your work before. Do you think um, it within the, within the left, as a left-wing person, I've spoken before about the left sort of eating itself. <laughs> yes. and, and so you were sort of saying there about the liberal like ideology which is well meant but actually can be pretty damaging as well in terms of uh, stereotypes or ideas or catching yourself up about the correct you know the correct yeah. way to correct pronouns or the quick do you say uh, person of color do I say woman yeah. of color or do you like you, uh, I'm a black woman call me a black woman yeah. you know like I read a great article in the I think it was in the New York Times uh, written by a black American woman who was like, I hate the term uh, people of color. <laughs> She's like, I'm black, call me black, call them whatever they are. Yeah. yeah be specific. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely get that. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, uh, as long as you're calling me a person of color, not a colored person, um, yeah. that is <laughs> probably, yeah. like, uh, that happened after a show that I did about race, and I was like, I think I understand what you're trying to say, and you're trying to be woke, but you're actually fucking us all up the ass right now by doing it the yes. complete wrong way, like you've gone back 50 years somehow by doing that. Yeah. Um, like you're saying, a lot of times that the, the policing of that language seems to be, uh, is, Obviously, it's important in that that is the way that we filter and understand ideas. Like we we cognate and then we communicate, and we also communicate and then we take that back in and learn and do do different things. So that is important. But as the sort of liberal side, we're the ones who are saying, okay, we're trying to adapt, we're trying to change, versus the people who are like, let's hold on to the past and go back there. That seems to be a lot of an easier thing to do than it is to try to adapt. And so. The, um, I think the level of forgiveness or understanding or empathy could be raised in that effort because obviously, well, maybe not obvious to everyone, but the person who has just gotten your pronoun wrong or your ethnicity wrong, or, you know, is trying, you know, yeah. which is more than the people who are actively repressing you were doing. And also they have imbibed the same uh, propaganda that everyone has. So it's like they're trying to respect you and also trying to evolve their own ideas. And it is a lot to do all at once. And, you know, the, at best you can be like, that's incorrect. And at best you can receive that information and go, oh, my bad, as opposed to like, well, I don't even know what you want me to do. Like, I'm trying, you know, forget this shit. You know, like, <laughs> to put it up to the ceiling. Yeah. And I, I, obviously we, we're in this era where 
there is social media and there are all of these things where it is much more effective to destroy something than it is to build something up. It takes so much less time and effort and you can see the results immediately. Just like, we got that shit taken off the air. You're trash, you're done, you know? And like that feels like progress because it's easier to burn something than it is to build it up. But also, you know, we do need to build and be a little bit, give everybody a little bit more room or a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. And it's difficult because it is hard to tell, like these days where you're just kind of like, mm, reaching across the aisle to anyone who voted for these things that I completely disagree with is going to be so difficult to do. But yes. also, you know, listening helps. And there's certain issues. I love that because it's like, that's the perfect sort of metaphor. It's easier to tear something down than to build something. But without struggle, there is no progress. Yeah. So yeah. we have to have these moments yeah. or these difficult times of, of struggle where ideas are thrown up and they're discussed and we have like an open sort of, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I think the council culture, I think I had a line in one of my shows where I said, look, we want to be on the right side of history, but throwing other people under the bus doesn't mean you automatically get on it. Yeah. And I think that's where the problems are. I think we all have to strive to be better, unpack our bias to move forward as a culture and a society. However, it, by, by trying to say that you have none, I don't have any of those things, I never get it wrong, and then you just point at someone else, that's what will undo society. Yeah. That will undo any progress. I think there's like a deep meditation we all need to do to just understand that like metaphysically as well as physically we're all full of shit and start yeah. from there just to be like we're all raging shit bags and if we start from there then the improvements are like well you know I've put potpourri on mine so I've tried to help the problem a little bit and you're just sitting there just steaming and like spilling everywhere so like making the distinction from that as opposed to like thinking that anybody is and unfortunately, you know, I, being an American, I feel like I recognize the, just the uh, concept uh, that capitalism has fueled of this idea of perfection and ideal, that this is attainable, that these are things that human beings are meant to aspire to and try to do, and that anybody else that we're touting has actually done that, because we're only seeing one side of them, is a pernicious idea that perpetuates this, you know, sort of, well, I don't deserve to live until I can get it perfectly right. You know, I grew up fat my whole life and I was black in Southern California in a white suburb and I just knew that like I needed to fix my shit before I could even show any of it to anyone. I needed to get to a certain place to be like, am I okay to be looked at? And, and it's been a lot of my adult life undoing that idea and understanding that value is not, is something inherent, you know, like, you know, not necessarily earned, given, taken away, that kind of thing. It's something that every human being has simply by virtue of the fact for showing up. And yes, you can give that away or you can trade it off for profit or other terrible things if you're that kind of person. But you know, that just getting to that place of, of um, knowing that we're all pretty much the same asshole with like just a couple different versions of a face, right? Yeah. You know, and it's just like great. And, and, and people, you know, getting to that place with other people, like they feel relieved when you kind of go like, yeah, I don't fucking know and I get it wrong all the time. And like, yeah, sometimes I'm a dick. And then it was like, oh my God, me too. Thank you so much. You know, and it's, it's nice to be, that, that's where you can start to relate and start to build something from. So like, just let's take it down a notch. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel as well about, um, because I guess we're in a time now of, uh, of quite a lot of labeling, which I think is interesting because we came through this period in the 60s and the 70s 
it was it Studio 54 was sort of mm. the 70s and yeah. one of their big kind of things was everyone come and party we don't put any labels on it so you can be gay you can be a go-go dancer in your 90s you can yeah. be you know black white we don't care you know disabled but we just we don't put labels on it we this is a place where people come to party and have fun and I I looked at someone's um, profile on Twitter the other day who followed me and it had a list of about 20 different things so it was you know and this is someone that I like but it had stuff on it like you know anti-Trump pro-immigration slash mental health slash you know uh, pronouns slash you know like there was a list of about 10 things and I was like I'm sort of all I agree with all of this but I feel like you've missed off whether you like cheese yeah and I, I don't know that I need to see that many that many different things before like I interact with you <laughs> like yeah. you have to have it's like wearing a t-shirt I described it in LA because on stage they introduce you with your credits and I'm like how about just work out if I'm funny yeah. and I say I wouldn't go on t-shirt wearing uh, on stage wearing a t-shirt with my IMDB credits <laughs> you know so I feel like now we're, we're so con and I feel like it's a kind of sort of latent capitalism sort of something is that we, we we're, we're so keen on labeling ourselves we become like products on a shelf mm. then it makes it easier for people to directly market and sell things to us but it's almost like and so I'm, I'm trying to work out like I, I think it would be so nice if we could be freer of labels yeah I mean interestingly when you were speaking about that I think that um, we often cleave toward labels because we, because of this cult of the individual, because we want to, it's like we're Tarzan swinging from vine to vine and it's like, I need to go to the anti-immigration or the pro-immigration vine or I need to go to the, this one because I'm that. But ironically, the more of those things you listed, the less that I know who that person is, you know, because it's like, yes, you believe in a lot of different things, but it doesn't actually tell me anything about you. Like, it's good that you support causes and that you're active. What I can tell is that you seem to be very uh, vocal about your beliefs, but also, who the hell are you? Like, I mean, it's good to have people supporting the movement, but it's also good to have, like, actual human souls to connect to that, like, are capable of multiple things. Like, we're all, for all of the things that I believe in, I'm capable of entirely the opposite as well, depending on the day. I mean, that's the sort of, you know, fucketry of humanity is that like you you can call yourself a good person but like you know are you because you haven't seen everything yet right you like you can yeah. only sort of go like well like I think I have beliefs I think I have values I think I you know if put to the test I would x y or z but I don't really know I'm just going to try right now in this moment to do that as opposed to being like I am this I am that because uh, it doesn't really allow for very much evolution or space for you know other people to kind of get in there and affect you. You know all the things that I've believed and said out loud. And like anytime I've ever been like this for sure, 100 fucking percent. Like there's been you know that's always when life presents you with the like, are you sure, asshole? Because here's this, you know. And then suddenly <laughs> you have to take that in in that moment and be like, okay, well maybe there's an exception. There always is. So yeah. maybe don't adhere so strongly to the label, but I get that people want to be able to be defined in a chaotic world. And yes, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I was thinking about, I'd be like, what would be on mine? British, do I define myself as British? I don't think that's a thing. I'm English. If you say British in Scotland, people are like, no, fucking Scottish. Yeah. But that's a real sense of like, 
very distinct and my dad's Scottish, you know, like the identity. And I was like, would I say woman? And then I went, oh, intersectional feminine, you know, and I could list off all of these things and my political beliefs. But I do feel like that's kind of putting yourself in a bubble. Like, you know, we talk about this a lot in social media, don't we? In terms of how over the last couple of years, stuff has, what's happened politically has really split people, has broken up families. Like you were saying, I don't know if I can cross the divide or cross yeah. the what is it you called it not the divide the uh, uh what cross uh, the aisle is that yeah the thing? yeah you know? yeah yeah like um but uh but i feel like like kind of you know you're not sort of changing minds and if you want to change minds or have your mind change you need to be open i think sometimes that that kind of, and i get it because someone's like i don't want to hear anything outside of i don't want to hear someone say something awful about women so i'm just going to put on my profile that these are my beliefs and don't come on here and just bring you misogyny or don't come on here and be racist. Yeah. I sort of get it, it's a way of protecting ourselves. But also I think it means it, it's less progressive. Yeah. Just as a, a kind of broad. Yeah. yeah, you kind of cannot make that progress without, like all of your belief systems inside of a bubble mean nothing. Like they don't mean anything until they are challenged, sort of uh, either reinforced. I mean, if all of these people who uphold science, like your hypothesis means nothing until it's actually put to the test. And the only thing that's putting it to the test is interacting with people. And you do sometimes actually change someone, change someone's mind or adapt their opinion by having that really terrible, boring conversation and sitting there and breathing in the absolute garbage that they're saying at the time and also breathing in, okay, well, what is it about this person's experience that has informed that? Because if I can share with them something about my experience that has informed me, people can relate to human experience and that's where you start to get back to like, oh, that's why you see things that way. And I mean, the best thing that I've ever gotten about uh, out of, well, not maybe not the best thing, but one of the best things that I've ever gotten out of being a performer is when someone says, I never saw it that way until you showed me through your eyes what it was you saw, and now I can't not see it if I see something on the street happening. I now see what that person is going through in a way that I never did. You know, like that's the most incredible thing that someone can tell you. And that's the beauty of, of stand-up comedy. And that's why I like asking comedians that as well, of someone personally coming to you and saying, you've changed my ideas. And sometimes it's not about preaching to the converted. That's what I mean about these labels. You're not gonna always reach the people who need to hear it. Because those people who are within your groups, yeah. they, they hear it and they're on board with your point. But I've done Up the Creek on a Sunday before or a Saturday night and had a man, like a ruddy-faced man, in his 50s come over, pinch my cheek, that was a great girl. Never thought about it like that before. I really liked it, and I was like, oh, I've, this man has just heard yeah. some feminism. Yeah, could have lived without so, the pinch, but thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my cheeks already have blush on them, yeah. thank you. Um, but yeah, that it was some kind of stealth feminism that I yeah. felt like, and I feel like you do ideas like that so cleverly anyway in your shows because they are, they're storytelling, they're narrative, and they are personal, but they're deeply political as well. So, and I feel like that's the nicest way to kind of get those ideas across. And before we started recording, we did have a little discussion off stage, and I think it's worth talking about on here. Um, women who do stand up, I think, we were talking about the different forms that we like, and I was saying I would love to be a one-liner comedian. Yeah. But I just, you know, I love watching that comedy. It's not what I do. But I'd love to have the luxury of doing that because I feel like 
our experiences are so per like so personal and politically intertwined yeah. that we can't it would be wouldn't it be great to have the luxury of going i'm just going to come up and do something surreal or weird or one-linery but i can't afford to not be political yeah yeah I, I, like i mean it, oh so yes and i feel like if it is to me i always come with uh to a show with a sense of like I feel like this has to have an, a positive impact on someone who sees it in whatever way that means. So if it's going to be absurd, it's gotta be absurd to look at a larger point that actually affects their lives for some reason. And like, I want to be able to do jokes that are just about like, oh, isn't it funny that, you know, whatever, this tastes weird. You know, like just the, you know, aren't Pokemon stupid? Like I, I, you, like, I yeah. want to be able to, do those kinds of things. I want to live in a world where so many of my shows that I think are going to be about one thing wind up being about race because that's the conversation that I am asked to lead because other people feel, um, you know, and I mean, that's not the only one, but it's one of the things that I bring to the table, particularly in the UK, as like you were talking about being British. I've never felt, I never felt American until I came over here. You know, like especially as a black American, you always feel outside of the narrative and like you're fighting to just be recognized as being uh, part, part of the people who built the fucking country to begin with, right? And it wasn't until I came over here and started hearing like, I love your accent, oh my God. And I was like, what? Like, and it was, it was weird because it's, I always say it's the closest thing to white privilege I will ever feel is that American thing of people being like, oh, so you're American. Oh, so you must, oh my God, like, what's it like? Oh, you lived in New York. Oh my God, I love New York. And like that thing is so interesting to me because I just, I'm like, why that, Ex I being exoticized for a totally different thing than the one I'm used to being exoticized for. But then at the same time, I feel like there's an expectation to be an expert on you know my political system and race and all the things that America represents. So I've had to kind of like bone up on those things, you know. And it would be nice if um, other people were having that conversation in the different ways that it can happen, you know. I was in this theater company, and it, um, the Neo Futurist in New York, and it, it has deeply influenced my uh, aesthetic as a comedian, as a performer, you know, theater maker. And there's a guy, um, you know, who, you know, whatever, white, uh, straight, cisgendered male, right, all the things, uh, and was like, oh, um, like, how do white people talk about race? You know, and I was like, I don't know, man, fucking start. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, you, like, that's not like you are coming to me as the person who, who in your mind has a race. And I'm kind yes. of like, you have one too, and you can talk about that, right? Like, cause I'm sure that a lot of times being white feels onerous, especially these days. And also like, well, we don't only eat potato salad. And like, we don't, you know, like that, we don't like our stereotypes either. And it's like, yeah, doesn't this suck? Like this sort of vehicle that we've used to like push forward capitalism is shitty for everybody. And it traps me and it traps you and it traps other people and it all sucks, right? And so like, rather than the focus solely being on like, well, you guys suffer pretty much like the worst. So like, tell us about it. It's like, uh, I wanna see a bunch of white people sitting around talking about race, you know, talking about what they think, fucking it up, probably making mistakes, but actually being honest and, and not 
that, you know, kind of that fly on the wall conversation of like, here are the things that you're afraid to say if there is a brown person in the room. Like, go ahead and say them because at some point you need to air that so that one, somebody else might be able to be like, oh, well that's weird or, oh, I feel that way too. Or, and two, so that you can hear yourself say what you actually think in your head. Just like when you're in therapy and you say the thing that you're thinking in your head and you're like, wow, that is fucked up. You know, like that's the one thing about therapy, even if it's like that other person isn't telling you to change yourself, just you saying the things that you say to yourself inside of your head out, like you're just like, wow, like I would never say that to another person. I would never do, but like in my head, I feel like that's okay for me. And that's something that I needed to hear and to question. So anyway, I'm sorry, I could talk no. about this stuff forever. Uh, no, but I, just feel I, like I love it. Yeah. I would love it if other people were having the conversation so we could do shows about like garlic bread and like yeah. thongs. Yeah, airplane, airplane you know? food. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is the deal? <laughs> um, there is another strand to your comedy, I guess, which I feel like is, is again, is groundbreaking. And it's, and it's very you, which is talking about, uh, you know, sex work. Yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. The sound of an orgasm. Because <laughs> the show this year is called Coming Early. Yes, yes. Although this show starts seeming about sex, but it, it changes direction rather sort of like, you know, subtly and drastically. Uh, but because I have been, I think, so I definitely came to sex late. Um, I the last show I did on Fuckable was uh, had a lot to do with um, uh, in one part about uh, doing sex work and also at the time I was doing sex work being a virgin in my 20s and I'm I was astounded by the number of uh, uh, virgin dominatrixes dominatrices I don't know uh, it's more math I don't know but anyway that I met after having done that show because you say that and you're just like this is crazy who does that and it's like uh, 10 other people like you know anytime you think you're alone in something you put it on stage and you find out just how not alone that you are in that thing um, but it's it, it's one of those things that everyone has been like whoa it was sex work so whoa. and I'm just like it's a job, like everybody has jobs in their life, right? It is work like any other work. I put on a uniform, I went to work, I served up some, you know, whatever, some idea of like sexiness. And for me, as someone who was a late virgin, was raised born again, and was also always, you know, like, uh, like a fat black woman whose body is usually very desexualized. It was something that I threw myself into to be like, I want to be part of the sexual world and I want to learn about this and I'm going to throw myself into fetish because one, it provides some kind of uh, a relative safety, you know, like you aren't yeah. having intercourse with the clients, you know, so it, it's not fully that. Like you're, you know, they're having a wank, you're there and you're, it, this illusion for them. And two, it was a place where- But you also do an admin in your head at the same yes, time? Yes, of course, exactly, <laughs> like the whole time. But like, and it was also a place where uh, my, like there was a type for me, right? And did you, know? you feel like you had power in that? Was it a way of taking back power? I mean, control, it's weird, or? like in some ways, yes, but like you are playing this role. As somebody who studied theater, it's like, I'm going into the role of a powerful woman. I definitely enjoyed wearing corsets actually, because I've got stuff to move around with them. So yeah. like, you know, it wasn't cutting into my ribs at all. I was like, oh, you're more not even close to ribs yet. Like keep squeezing. <laughs> um, but like, there was, there was, you know, there was an understanding that like I had a type, like my physical type reads as like dominant, 
domineering, like my my personal proclivities are quite the opposite of that, but like yeah. you have to get to know me to know that. If I can put forward this persona, I can kind of fake it till I make it. And as a 20 something woman who had moved to New York City, that was a useful thing for me to kind of learn. Do yeah. you think now, because this is something I talk about in my show and I think it's entrenched in classism here because some of my most sort of revered like writers, like Maya Angelou was a sex worker, right? And she talks about that in her books and she actually gets into it to help a, ma yeah. a boyfriend at the time who ends yeah. up becoming her pimp. And it's, it's a little bit coercive, but she has no shame or stigma attached to it. She talks about it in a very plain way. Now, what I think is in America, I think there's so much more judgment for it here. Mm. And in America, it's so uh, weird because people are here are kinky as fuck. They are, but we're very, <laughs> we're very repressed about it. Yeah, like, which makes not... you even kinkier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, but I feel like so I talk in my show about Cardi B, about social mobility existing mm. in America because you can start anywhere, go anywhere. And I feel like, I, I talk about Cardi B, how the, the, the narrative of that discussion in the States almost makes me want to cry because there's such a lack of judgment. They say she finessed, finessed her way from the streets and stripping to Grammy winner. Yeah. Look how I finessed. <laughs> and I think that's lovely, but I just don't think anyone would be allowed that trajectory here. I don't think, I think we have too much entrenched classism yeah. and I think there's so much judgment around it that in America, I think it's seen very differently. Yeah, I mean, I think that we very early on attached our classism to race, and so it's it's like, you know, that's, a, but it's a lot more of a visible thing, and it's been our visible problem since our beginnings, you know, and so obviously people understand that class is a thing here, but I think because there is a lot of repression, passive aggression, those kinds of things, like, I just never understood the way that so many things are structured in, in a way, and obviously I come from a country with a school to prison pipeline. Things are very structured systemically and horribly where I'm from. But like, there's an understanding if you are born into a certain situation here, there's only so far you're ever gonna be able to go. And like, and if you want to go further, you have to lie about who you are, change your accent and the way that you speak so that you sound like you come from something else so that people won't like always go like, oh, you're nothing but an actually this it doesn't matter what you've actually done how far you've come like you weren't born into this thing so you're never going to be able to attain it and like it's just not it's something that I haven't like I'm if I could live here for another 20 years and I quite fully understand the intricacies of that and how much it works and how people judge each other just the minute you open your mouth they can tell where you're from what you're worth to them like all of that is so intense yeah, it's full on, isn't it? And so I feel that that's uh, one of the really important conversations you're opening up within stand-up. You're doing so many things. Yeah, you're talking good. about many. Yeah, no, there's so much, and we gotta go. And I could talk to you for ages. About I know all of this, we could do like, we could do like three hours, couldn't yeah. we? So, uh, final question before you go: Have you ever received an email or or a fan come up to you after a show? and uh, say, thank you for talking about this thing. Like that being a tiny revolution, the act of you talking about a certain thing on stage has changed someone's, uh, changed someone's life by you, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, um, so many examples of this, guys. <laughs> but like, I think because, you know, my work does exist at like, you know, uh, in sort of the intersections of like 
race, gender, sort of uh, body image and whatnot, there are a lot of people who are affected by that in different ways. You know, I, even the show that I'm doing now, I'm having people come up and just be like, thank you so much for talking about this because it does have to do a lot about race and a lot about spirituality. There's a lot about just being visible as, you know, like, hey, I'm a woman of color. I'm a big woman. I am, you know, I'm bisexual. I am talking about doing sex work. I am, you know, intellectual. I'm doing these things that allow people to go like, oh, I can see myself represented by that and that is hugely important because we do need to know, oh, that's a space in which I can go to. Um, I, uh, I would say uh, one that just sticks out to me and it kind of harkens back to, um, to Tar Baby because it was specifically about that show. And this was a friend of mine actually that I knew from Yale who had, um, you know, would learn more about me through this show. But he, it was months later after he had seen the show and he was like, I was on the train and it was a crowded train in New York City in the subway um, and this black dude was trying to get on the train and he was trying to speak in a way that was like, hey, excuse me, hey, because he didn't want to be an angry black man, but also everyone was ignoring his fucking existence entirely and I could see him navigating this thing of like not trying to raise his voice so that people didn't respond in a certain way, but also trying to get the space and whatnot he needed to move on. And I know that that is a thing I never would have ever noticed had it not been for your show. And I was like, that's huge, you know, like just being able to see the things that happen on the street to other people and to then, because the next step after that is being like, hey, move out of the way, that guy's trying to get on and helping someone or just being an ally or being like, hey, I saw what you just went through and I know nobody else looked because there's so many times these things happen to us and you just feel alone there on the street, like gutted and run through and like no one witnessed it. And you're like, did God even see it? Is there a God? Like all of that. Yeah, and yeah. for someone to be, I saw that, that was fucked up, completely changes everything. You have, seeing it first, if you see the thing, once you see it, then you go, oh, now I see that thing, this thing that happens, next time I can do something, we yeah. can help to change it. I can help that person. Yeah. And I think that it's so amazing that your comedy does that. And I, thank you for coming on the thank show. Thank you so much. Um, and thank um, you for everything that you do. When she said that line of like, just because you throw people under the bus doesn't mean you get to get on it in your show. I went, mm, like I went to <laughs> black church lady, like. Mm. <laughs> There's something you need to hear. Our wildlife is under attack like never before. In a new 12-part series, Charlie Moores and Ruth PC explore the concept of a war on wildlife. With special guests and short interviews with activists, researchers and campaigners, this one is not to be missed. Find it where you find podcasts, as well as on the free Lush Player app, and you can even follow at War on Wildlife on Twitter. Mm -hmm.